0: This is KCBX Central Coast Public Radio. I'm Father Ian Dellinger, and I'm playing with food. Did your school meals resemble something like this? To start putting money back into the school, you cut back on everything. Salaries, supplies, the food. I don't care what you say, I can taste the newspaper. Posh.
1: Shredded newspapers add
0: much-needed roughage and essential inks. Besides, you didn't notice the old gym mats. There's very little meat in these gym mats. That was Principal Skinner and Mrs. Krabappel commenting on the meals at Springfield Elementary School, followed by Lunch Lady Doris in the hit comedy The Simpsons. Scenes with Lunch Lady Doris are few and far between, pithy and very brief, but illuminating on what the creators may think about school meals. In the San Luis Coastal Unified School District, school meals couldn't be further from the fictional Springfield Elementary The Director of Food Services has what appears to me to be a vocation in not only providing students with nutritious food, but making sure that no child goes hungry, even in a global pandemic.
1: I am Erin Primer, and I am the Director of Food and Nutrition Service for San Luis Coastal Unified.
0: Okay, so how many schools are there in San Luis Coastal?
1: There are 15 schools, 10 elementary, 2 middle, 2 high school, and a continuation high school for about 7,700 total enrolled.
0: You provide meals at all of those schools yes when school's in and everybody's in the classroom are your meals provided from one location or does each school have a kitchen
1: Uh, a little bit of both so for the 10 elementary schools everything is produced at laguna middle school and then it is transported through our operation with our delivery trucks and then for the four secondary schools They all have their own kitchen facilities, so they're able to produce their own entrees and do a little more cooking uh, with more equipment than at the
0: elementary schools. So do the elementary schools get hot meals, or is it only kind of like a sack lunch?
1: When we were in pre-pandemic, we cook everything at Laguna. It's then blast chilled and held in our coolers, so everything's in a cold state. It gets shipped on our delivery truck cold and then delivered cold. And then at the elementary sites, they have an oven, so they're able to heat the hot item and then put that out hot for the students. And we try to do two entrees, one hot and one cold to just give a little variety for kids.
0: So it's kind of like what they do on airplanes, but in bigger portions. Yeah. Oh, do you have like a, a warming closet with the slots like they do on an airplane? I wish we did. I think if we get to a point where we have to eat in classrooms, that's probably where we're going. But
1: no, we have more like industrial kitchen style, large feed racks with flats for different sheet pans. And uh, we actually have these really interesting racks that hold the different entrees in them, and then they can be stacked upon one another. And those can actually go in the oven as well. So similar style, just a little bit different in equipment output.
0: That's really cool. So now we've had a summer of kids being at home, everybody being at home. Well, if you go downtown it does not Not everybody's <laughs> at home. <laughs> yeah, true. The big news that has been leaking out over the summer is that you and your crew are feeding 15,000 or preparing 15,000 meals each week to go to children in the school district who are suffering from food insecurity. How does that work? So back
1: in March, which seems like years away, not months, when we got the word that school was going to be closed and shut down, that was on Friday, March 13th, a day that will forever be etched into my brain. Starting on that Monday, March 16th, we went into just serving mode. As unclear as everything really was, we knew that our routine is to feed kids. So whether that was at school or in this virtual setting, we knew that that was our call to action. We participate in the National School Lunch and Breakfast Programs, which are federally funded programs, and so USDA operates a lot of the law and rule around our program. And what they allowed us to do that March 16th was to start serving meals in what we call a seamless summer style of feeding. During the school year, when we operate National School Lunch or School Breakfast Programs, we are only serving our students, and in order to be served a free meal, you have to qualify for the, mo- the meal program, which is based on a federal income schedule, and if you're free or reduced in our district, we actually waive the price of reduced meals. We feel like if you qualify, it's already burdensome enough. Paying 30 or 40 cents only adds more burden. So if you qualify in our district, it's free for free and reduced, and then it's paid If you don't qualify for the program, you can buy a paid meal. Starting on March 16th, we moved into a different style of service, which changed the rules a little bit. And it allows us to serve a free meal to anyone zero to 18. You don't have to be a student. So if you had a school age child and two under five, you can get three meals for all of those children through us right now. While this is a great program, and we've all been running this for several months, Currently, USDA has not allowed the extension of that waiver. So when we go into this unprecedented new school year, today we will have to go back to our free, reduced, and paid model. So if you're on the meal program, you would continue receiving free meals, but only for your school-age children, your district-enrolled school-age children, and not for anyone 0 to 18. That makes me a little bit nervous because in San Luis Obispo, There's a lot of belief that we are not a food-insecure county or area, and that is absolutely not true. Hunger definitely is prevalent in our community, and I see it most with children. So the thought of having only a select group be able to get meals, only students who are on the meal program, makes me very nervous for our greater community, especially when we know that this income eligibility scale is not based on cost of living in California. So a family may just not qualify, but still very much be in need, and that's not being addressed in the new school year from USDA. You
0: send me some pictures. You sent me some pictures in lieu of me being able to go out and wander around the, <laughs> the site, which is what I love doing, <laughs> but it's a different time now. And yeah. the amount of food that, like, I'm assuming that during a normal school year, you get a delivery every day. So what's it Depending like? On
1: items, yeah. Depending on the items. Depending right. on the items. We do get bread delivered locally from Edna's every day, but grocery items about once a week.
0: What's it like to take delivery to prepare for 15,000 meals? <laughs>
1: Well, I tried to capture at least a little bit of that in some of these pictures because the volume of product, I think, is pretty mind-blowing. When we shut down, we really thought initially, how can we adapt our purchasing to really benefit our local food system? You know, buying locally really is important to us. We really think that it not only benefits our local community, but it benefits our children because a lot of families are working at local businesses, local farms. And so the connection of buying locally is a lot bigger than just putting dollars into our economy, which is very important. But to have it directly benefit children that attend our school district, to me, just is a a nice completeness to what that food system snapshot looks like. So when we shut down, we started actually doing daily meals. We did breakfast for tomorrow and lunch for today in a sack. And in those first seven days, we served 15,000 meals. In a typical summer, we do about 15,000 meals all summer. So very quickly, we realized this is at a rate that we're not sure if we can keep up with one in six before the pandemic being food insecure. I can only imagine that that statistic is even lower now, probably one in four, one in five. It's alarming the need that we saw immediately. And so with knowing that we were going to move now to these weekly meal kits and our intention for that was twofold. One, we wanted to try and figure out how we were going to stay on top of 15,000 meals a week. And two, With the governor's orders being to stay at home, it really didn't make sense to me that we would ask our families and our staff to have interaction five days a week. So moving to this weekly meal kit made a lot more sense and it really spoke to more safety for both our families and for our staff. It was really crazy to think that we would have to sustain something like this for so long. I don't think anybody realized where it would be today. When we look at a weekly meal kit, we're giving five breakfast meals and five lunch meals, 10 meals for each student. And we multiply those numbers out. So the total number of students was 1,500 the first couple of weeks, and multiplying that by 10 is how we get our 15,000. Our last meal pickup, we actually served closer to 1,800 students, which would be 18,000 meals that we're preparing. So we've only seen growth in this program And we're really proud to be able to be a part of that and and help support with hunger relief.
0: This is Issues and Ideas on KCBX Public Radio, and the San Luis School's Director of Food Services is describing her program to make sure kids get fed during the pandemic. These breakfasts and lunches that you're giving out to your students, are there particular nutritional guidelines for those?
1: Yeah, definitely. As much as the rules have become different in this pandemic, uh, we haven't abandoned them. It's When we're not in the pandemic during a national school lunch program service, we have very strict nutrient guidelines. And so those guidelines don't go away. So there's very strict nutrient information we have to meet. There's so many calories, fat, sodium, we have to be within specific ranges. In addition to that, we also look at the components of each food group so the food groups that we use follow MyPlate. So we have grains, proteins, fruits, vegetables, and milk, and that's really reflective of what you see in our meals, whether we're in school or we're doing weekly meal kits, you see those same meal components. So when we look at grains, I can't put any non-whole grain or white bread in the meal system. I have to use a 51% whole grain rich or greater product. That is where working with Edna's Bakery has been an absolute blessing for our program. We're getting really high-quality products. It's incredibly healthy. They're able to meet the requirements of having this particular grain formulation. We have statements that certify all of the products that we purchase. And knowing that you can still get a muffin or even a Danish that is whole grain and it's meeting calorie, fat, uh, lower sugar requirements, These are better-for-you products than what you'd be able to find at the grocery store. And there's often a lot of misconception about school food not being good for you or being unhealthy. With the amount of regulation in order for us to get reimbursed for that meal, we have to make sure that we're meeting all of those requirements. And even if something sounds like it might be unhealthy, like a Danish, that doesn't seem like a really healthy choice. But when you look at the actual product, It does have an icing drizzle, but it's a very light drizzle. So knowing that there is still a little bit of flavor fun and and sweetness, but not oversaturated, highly processed like you would find in maybe a typical product.
0: Well, I'm looking at a picture of the bag, and there are apples and oranges, bags of ready-to-eat carrots, sandwiches on either higher in protein with egg or have, like you say, 51% whole grain. There's a gallon of milk, muffins from Edna, and then there's what looks like chocolate-covered cookies.
1: Back in March uh, around St. Patrick's Day, we actually had ordered a bunch of shamrock cookies that are 51% whole grain to serve with our St. Patrick's Day meal, and we have them in-house and otherwise wouldn't have been able to use them. So we actually put them in our weekly meal kits, and they do count as a grain because they're 51% whole grain or more. It's been a really great way to still include something fun while still in an otherwise absolutely bonkers scenario. So finding ways to be able to still bring some of that fun to the table, I think is important. We also get chocolate chip cookies from Edna's. Now here's one of our secrets. We actually buy the dough puck from them and they are whole grain, lower in sugar, and we bake them in house. So that smell and the sensation of what a freshly baked chocolate chip cookie smells and tastes and feels like. But it really helps us on the labor end where we're not having to create that product hundred percent from scratch. That's an example of something that we call quick scratch where we may not do 100% of the scratch cooking, but it's helping us in some of the steps that we can save labor and put that into some other areas of what we want to produce.
0: Speaking of scratch cooking, can I take us back to normal times? Yeah. In one of our exchanges, you mentioned that you were testing a new entree. So I think back to my school lunches, and I went to a really tiny high school. My mom actually taught at that high school. We had probably a three-week, maybe four-week rotation of meals. It was a mixture of... Prepackaged food, like the burrito, you're younger than I am, but you probably still know of the burrito, which is actually a chimichanga, you know, the deep fried, little deep fried burrito. Always go back for seconds for those. <laughs> But all our pizza was homemade. There's this thing in Nebraska, which is where I went to school, called a Runza. It's a cabbage burger. Those were homemade. They're actually really good. So we had a mixture of stuff that was homemade and stuff that was prepackaged. But you mentioned that you're testing recipes. So do you kind of try to keep it new and fresh? I think we have to. I think it's really important as a program
1: operator to understand that the history of our program is Stigmatizing those who are poor. And that is absolutely not what we're here to do. I want to have food that is good enough for anybody. If mom and dad pay your lunch bill or if the government pays your lunch bill, I want our food to be so good that everyone wants to participate. In addition to that, relying on packaged products is easy. That is the reason why most school districts do this because it's hard to do things from scratch or create a recipe. It takes things like having labor and people who know. How to do that and work with a variety of different products. It also takes equipment. In school food, unlike restaurants, we tend to hold on to equipment until it is like breaking and I can't use it anymore. I haven't seen everyone's kitchen, but I would go out on a limb to tell you that there is not a single restaurant out there operating, at least in Slow County today, with 50 plus year old equipment. Even at Laguna Middle School, we're producing hundreds if not thousands of meals and types of products a day. I have no dishwasher. What? That's, that's shocking, right? A machine to be able to wash pots, pans, dishes and otherwise. That's a luxury in school food. And that kind of equipment is 50 plus thousand dollars. If I'm getting 50 grand, I'm putting that into food for kids, not necessarily equipment to make my job easier. There are challenges in school food beyond just the food in how we get those things to your plate or how we even clean those plates so (laughs) with that being said yes i do think that recipe testing and making things in-house from scratch is like the dream that to me is the way to go and people tell me that 50 years ago we were making our own bread and we were running our own in-house scratch program and so it's very interesting to see the going away from that and moving towards lots of convenience items and truly that is based on staffing and abilities. And now here we are coming almost back full circle to where we were all those years ago.
0: This is KCBX Public Radio, and you're listening to Playing With Food on Issues and Ideas. I'm looking at the pictures again, and there are runner tables and runner tables and runner tables full of bags. Yes. Yeah. What happens next?
1: The 1800 is distributed amongst four serving sites right now, so we've got people making these same things that the pictures of Laguna is really just for the 600 families that have pre-ordered at Laguna. So that's happening at three other locations around the district. We are working right now Mondays and Tuesdays for prep and production. And then on Wednesday is our meal distribution day. And we've asked for pre-orders so that we know how many to produce. And then we've opened up 1.30 to 2. If you didn't pre-order, you can still come. And then anyone who didn't pick up, we put those up for grabs. That's actually helped us reduce some waste as well. So We've got this master list. We've got cars that show up between 10 and 1, or where they've signed up for every half hour. And we're distributing these meals to families. The system now is pretty fine-tuned, but back in March... It was a mess, traffic at Laguna being backed up down to ocean air. I mean, we were really trying to figure this out. We were building the plane while we were flying it. Really well oiled now. We've got a really smooth system. Earlier, you mentioned working with the food bank, tapping into community partners and seeing the strength of our relationships grow during this pandemic has really been inspiring. Part of it is being in Slow County and small town feel and really connected with people, knowing who the players are in the game and this earnest desire to want to maximize all of the opportunities for our families. So with Slow Food Bank specifically, they are recipients of USDA's Farms to Families produce program where they're able to get 30, 40 pound boxes of delicious fresh produce And we are recipients to enhance what our weekly meal kits are. To see families be able to access this type of really high quality product, I'm so inspired to see families posting pictures about what they've done with all these pounds of apples. Uh, The answer is apple chips and applesauce so far. But really seeing people get engaged and get excited about eating healthy produce and cooking, it really just thrills me that we're able to do this. We actually worked together as partners, and the library said, hey, we can provide some goodies, and we've been giving out everything from bouncy balls and crayons to bubble wands are coming with how to make your own bubbles at home. It's been really inspiring to see all of our different community partners, our staff, our district, people coming together together to really make things better in a time where it's very easy to be disheartened by the things you see and hear on the news. And it's easy to be discouraged by what we can't do. And I've really tried to take this moment to say, well, there are things we can't do. That's true. I'm not discounting that at all. But we can actually get creative about what we want to do and what we'd like this to look like. And I think out of it, we're going to be better for it. And we're going to have more strengthened partnerships out of it and just a better experience for our students and families, which is not how I thought I would say the things to you in March, but I'm really happy to say those things today.
0: Erin, thank you for what you're doing for our children.
1: It's a pleasure and I absolutely love it.
0: Erin and her team are not only playing with food, they're managing food. It's a food system, but she also keeps it real. Since she can't have students taste test her creations, she created a virtual recipe testing. Students can sign up to test the new dish. In their bag, they get the ingredients and a recipe. They make the dish and report back. She is teaching the kids about playing with food. If you cook a meal for a kid, you feed her for a day. If you teach a kid to cook, you feed her for life. The sound of children on the school playground is a distant memory, and with local schools starting the fall quarter in virtual mode, those sounds are far in the future. But thanks to San Luis Coastal Unified School District's food services and the many community partners, those sounds will not be replaced by the sounds of grumbling tummies. Thank you to Erin, her team, and her community partners for supporting and strengthening our community. This is KCBX Central Coast Public Radio, I'm Father Ian, and I'm playing with food.